listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. Today, we're joined with a special guest from my hometown. We have Taylor Jernigan from Baton Rouge. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Can you just give us a little brief rundown of kind of where you started, how you got into real estate, what you've accomplished this far? Just kind of tell us your story. Yeah. So it all started, I'd say about May of 2018. I was still in the Navy, but I was on my way out. And I was on duty with another guy. He was talking about real estate and it didn't hit me until I had a conversation with him last week that I had this conversation with him that day. And the same day that the thing that really started me into it, I was having a conversation. He's like, dude, once I get out of the military, I'm moving to Houston. I'm going to buy some rent houses, have them pay for more rent houses so I can buy some more. I was like, dude, that sounds dope. I, was like, I didn't really have a plan at the time. I was, I was going to school to be a financial advisor. So I got my associate's degree. I, I just didn't continue. Yeah. So this doctor, his name was Dr. Butt. And I, as soon as I did my first real estate deal, I called him up. I had dinner with him and I thanked him for getting me into it. But he, he had walked by and he said, hey, I hear y'all talking about real estate. Have y'all ever heard of Ron LeGrand? And I was like, no, who's that? Have you I'm sure you've heard of Ron LeGrand, huh? I haven't. He's big in wholesale and just big in a real estate period. He's just an older guy. But he had mentioned him and I was like, dude, I, I don't know. Let me look it up. So I looked it up and I did not sleep that night. I did a <laughs> yeah. bunch of research, didn't do any of my homework. I was in two classes at the time. Didn't do any of my homework, stayed up and I was a dental assistant. So I was a spit sucker, basically. <laughs> and I worked with him all day. I talked his head off the entire day. I was so pumped about it. And then from that point on, it was like early May of 2018 that I said I was going to do real estate for life. Like it was going to be what I was going to do. I bought my first rental property in May of 2018 as well. (laughs) Maybe it was a sign. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny. So I started that and then I got into wholesaling. And since wholesaling, I started buying, flipping and holding properties. I've actually never flipped one. All the renovations I've done, I've held just like you do. Sure. But I don't hold them in the traditional way. I sell them rent to own because I don't want to deal with regular tenants with the problems. I would love for you to tell us more about that that rent to own process because I've never rent to own anything, but I've had on this most recent house I renovated, I've had like five different prospective tenants ask me if I do it and I didn't really know like how to put it together. So I'd, I'd like to hear more about that process and how you pick your numbers, what, what you do on the front end to put that together. Okay. Uh, it's nothing really different that you do on the front end. Uh, well, I guess you can kind of save yourself some money on some renovation because you don't have to go as fancy as if you were flipping it. You know, it still has to pass all the inspections. You still want your tenant buyer to have an inspection because, you know, they are making a big investment of buying a house, but they're just buying it at a future date. So you can do less in renovations, like as in not as fancy because these tenant buyers, they have less options because they, they don't want to rent, but they can't own for some unknown reason. They can't own, so they would much prefer to do a rent to own, which is where you get a portion of a down payment. So you've got your lease, which is the normal rental, then with your option to purchase, which they, they pay money to purchase the option to buy the house. And so with money down, you get a better quality person. Sure. You know, they want to own it. Okay. So... First of all, how much do you put down and then the rent on the lease? Is it more or less than you would typically ask for rent? And then 
the agreed upon future date is it a price is it above or below what you could just sell it for if you were just flipping it to answer the first question as much as they want to put down so say you've got a property that's worth 150,000 some people do 10% others do 20 it's all what you feel comfortable with me personally i don't want to put anybody in any house that i have if they are putting less than $10,000 down now the amount of money they put down, say your purchase price is 150, they put 10,000 down, now the purchase price is 140. So everything they put down goes towards purchase price. Okay. Does the rent go towards reducing the purchase price as well? So on a true lease purchase, no. I do a lease purchase on terms. So mine, I sell at the going rate right now for owner finance is eight to 12%. So I do, I sell mine on 10%. And as far as your terms, I do two to three year, but one of my deals, I did a five-year term just because that's what the lady wanted. She wanted to do a five-year. So they are getting principal pay down. You know, they have the principal interest, insurance and taxes that they're, you're responsible. You have to have the insurance on the property as well as the taxes because the title's in your name, but you kind of add it into what they pay. So you're owner financing these deals? Essentially. So you can do a lease purchase slash bond for deed. The way mine's written up, it's the lease purchase on terms. Okay. So how do you fund the properties? Are you paying cash for these properties? Do you have some type of mortgage on them? Or what, what okay. do you, on uh, So private investors. So okay. there's a private mortgage on the property or one deal that I did, I did with a investor-friendly bank. But yes, I, I have debt on each of these properties. I've only ever bought one property with my own cash just because why do it whenever I could pay somebody else sure. interest on it and I can, yeah. you know, expand. Cause I don't have that much cash. Yeah. Nobody, I, I wish I had like millions of cash to go to buy all the stuff I do. So I use either private investor debt and I, I typically pay around 13 to 15%. I know you cool. pay a little bit more than that, but that's, that's typically where I am <laughs> right now for my flips. Cool. I'm gonna have to renegotiate with my investors now. <laughs> hey, you already gave them a taste of it, man. They're not going to yeah. go down. Yeah. It's hard to go the other direction. The last question you had about the value, can I sell it for at the, you know, the rate that you would a flip or if I go higher or lower? Mm-hmm. So generally you go higher because you're selling it at a future date. They're getting locked in now, but they're mm-hmm. purchasing it in three years. So you kind of mark in the appreciation. Okay. That was my question. And because when I was running the numbers, the question became like, well, this is what it appraised for today, but if they don't buy it for three years from now, I could probably sell it for more in three years. Exactly. So, so my other question is, if you're seller financing it to them or doing it on terms, your investors are obviously comfortable leaving their money in the deal while you... I refinance. Okay. If, if I'm going to do something like that, uh, one of the banks I was working with, they just... Most banks require six-month seasoning. This bank, three, and they're cool with it. And then okay. you can refine, do the cash-out refi, just like I saw you had posted one yep. last month. You do yes. the exact same thing to cash them out. Okay. Okay. I got you. That, that's where my confusion was. Cause I mean, I, we, we all buy the, the properties with investors and I, I just, I didn't know if you were doing the cash out refinance or if you were leaving your investors capital on it and like kind of doing the arbitrage of just like kind costing of costing myself too much money, man. I'm not getting <laughs> cash flow if I'm doing that. Yeah, for sure. Well, tell us more about your wholesaling business. And so we don't talk a lot about wholesaling on this show because it's typically a buy and hold show, but you have a, a pretty good 
pretty good sized business going on. Can you tell us about how you got that started? How you run it? I would imagine you, you probably utilize some virtual assistants to do part of your business. Can you kind of yep. give it, tell us, you know, how that started and kind of how you've, how you've expanded it? Yeah. So back in May of 18 is when I, I heard about it. I started doing some research on Ron LeGrand. I got his little dollar course that taught me enough to get in trouble. Yeah. So it, it taught me just enough to like want to go out there and mess up. So then I purchased another program and it kind of like laid out exactly what to do. So I've done, there's so many different types of marketing. Like as I'm sure you get your deals, you can market through realtors. You can say, hey, you know, I'm a cash buyer. If you come across anybody that wants to sell their property, you know, at a discount fast for cash, you know, I, I'm your guy. Or you can, there's bandit signs. You can do pay-per-click, which is Google ads, Facebook marketing, texting, cold calling, direct mail ringless voicemails, so many different ways. I've done ringless voicemails, direct mail, bandit signs. I've not done Facebook ads or PPC. The most expensive are PPC and direct mail. What are your favorite? What, what do you think you get the most responses from? I text. I get the highest response rate from texting. So what do you mean you text? You find out who the people are and you personally send them a text or you have some service that, that kind of blasts everybody a text? So I use a service called Lead Sherpa, and this is where my virtual assistant, she's my assistant, like a personal assistant, as well as she handles my marketing. So she sends out text messages, and to keep it legal, it's not like you hit one button and it blasts like a thousand text messages. She types in our message, and then you have to hit the send button on each different one that you're sending. So it's not like super fast. Like you can't send a thousand in a minute. She types it in and then hits send in a spreadsheet, and then it sends to each, each address. Awesome. And then she just responds to those. And if somebody wants to sell, then I jump on a phone call with them or I get my acquisition guide to do it. Awesome. How many properties have you wholesaled in the last two years? Probably 25, 30. Oh, wow. And what's your average you make off of each one? So it was higher, but it's starting to go down. What Uh, do you think that is? I'd say around 10. The more I I knew, the more it messed me up in the business. Because the more I knew like what the property was, Cherry Uh, picking them and keeping them for yourself. I do cherry pick. (laughs) Definitely. I started to do that. So my bigger wholesale deals are ones I'm keeping, but also it's because the more I knew in the business, I knew what, what the renovation costs were. I knew what the ARV is on the property. It made me come in higher on my offers, which already diminished my profit. So before I really knew anything, I just was like, Hey, you want to sell? I want to buy. Let's just talk about what you need. And then I stopped going from what they need to what do I think I can get it for? And I would yeah. always offer a little bit higher versus, you know, listening to them and hearing their problems. And they'd be like, look, I only need 50000 to walk away from this and I'll be happy. It's crazy how that works. I couldn't solve their problem right there. <laughs> yes. So the I, more I knew, that, the worse I was at it. Yeah. Now, the more I evolve, probably the more I pay for deals because I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I don't go in and lowball. I'm like, look, I, I know what I need to make what I want to make. So just exactly. Yes. It was my first deal ever. Wholesale. I made 35000 on a wholesale deal. Knew nice. nothing. That's flip money right there. <laughs> that is flip money. That, that's around my average flip that I make. Awesome. So most recently you've gotten into apartment complexes. Can you tell us a little yes. bit about your, your baby? I, I saw you just closed. Was that two weeks ago? It was like longer now, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two weeks ago. 
that's where I want to go. I want to get out of the wholesaling game or at least sell it off owner finance to my acquisition guy, help him out with his career, but uh, catapult me into multifamily because that's where I love Tim Brotts and Tim Brotts preaches legacy wealth. Yeah. And I, I want that legacy wealth. I want to own a bunch of stuff. I want to own 5,000 units averaging $100 per month per unit, which I call doors. So that's my goal to own that many. And I would not own the entire thing of each one. I'd like to syndicate or joint venture on everything, which is kind of like what we did on this one deal. But that, that's where I want to go for the passive income. I think that's where we all want to end up. Can you break that deal down for us? Tell us how you found it, how you funded it, what your plans are with it? Yeah. So our plans are a seven-year hold on it. We want to hold it for seven years and then, and then sell it off because hopefully by that time, we'll, you know, a 32-unit will be small and, and like not worth keeping versus having the bigger units. We found it. It was actually a listed property. I never go after anything listed, but it had been listed for a while. And we talked to one of the owners about a different property in Denham that I was interested in, but they had just sold that one. And he said, hey, funny thing is, we've got this other one. And I was like, yeah, we saw that one probably about six months ago. And I was like, we, we put in a super low offer on it and y'all just laughed at us. So I put in a pretty low offer this time and I didn't get the same reaction. I was like, oh, there, there might be something here. And then we ended up getting them off their asking price over $300,000, which paid for our renovation on the property. Awesome. So how did you fund it? So we went with State Bank, so a local bank that already held the loan. So we just contacted them. We built a relationship with the bank and said, look, hey, this is what we plan on doing. You know, we had to submit our personal financial statements. So he knew that we could back it. He knew that we could back it. He already knew that it was a pretty much an unperforming note as it is. So he just wanted anything to do to get it into somebody else's hands that may just make it better. So I'm thinking we just kind of got lucky as well as I've been in real estate. My two other partners, we've been in real estate for a little while. So we got a little bit of a track record that probably helped us out as well. So did you assume the existing mortgage or did they give you a new one? I tried so hard to assume it just because that would have been the easiest route. We wouldn't have had to raise any capital, but we ended up having to get our own loan. We had to raise 20% of the down payment, 20% of the purchase price, which was, I think we had to raise a little over 150000 which we did. And I gave 15% return on so the money. You, you raised that in a debt manner. So you, the, the, yep. the people you raised it from don't have any ownership. They just, they have a promissory note that you're going to give them 15%. Yes. And now every, every deal is different. That's just all we could offer from this deal. And so we ended up, we found somebody. They're very happy making their 15% because he was not making anywhere near that where his <laughs> money is sitting right now. So how do you plan on, I'm assuming you plan on selling it for a good bit more than, than you bought it for. Is this a value add? Is this a cash flow property? What do the numbers look like? What are you getting when you're in from, from this project? So it's value add, cash flow, tax write-offs. But so it was super under-rented. I think it was averaging around $5.95 per unit which was kind of called for because it was pretty shitty units in there. We, we went and walked quite a few of them and found, you know, just horrible living conditions. The only thing they did recently was put a new roof on it because it had to for insurance. 
<laughs> or else the insurance, the insurance is like, man, look, you're, you put a new roof or we're just like cutting your insurance. So they had to do a new roof. Most of the AC window units don't work. So I think it was 65% occupied. Most, all those units that weren't occupied weren't really livable. Like we have to rip out like all the cabinets, man. They're just disgusting, like waterlogged, mold. So we're just ripping all that out and doing a clean slate. Yeah, vacant properties don't age well in South Louisiana, do they? <laughs> yeah, that humidity, man, the power was off in these units. That and the, the window units just didn't even work. So yeah, it, it was a great breeding ground <laughs> for mold. So how much do you think you're going to end up cash flowing off of it every month once you get it stabilized? So it's going to cash flow uh, anywhere from 9000 to 10500 a month. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So it's, it's, a, it's a great cash flow play. Like it's pulling in over probably close to, was that a hundred, over a hundred thousand dollars a year cash flow. So does it at its current under rented high vacancy status, does it currently cover the note? Yes. Surprisingly. Yes. Nice. It, uh, a lot of the tenants in there were not paying rent during Corona. Yep. But we just opened up yesterday, huh? Yeah. But they, they had paid, I think on the 6th, we could start filing for evictions and we did have to file for a few because, you know, they just weren't wanting to pay. Drug dealers and prostitutes were living in this place, man. Oh, yeah. So we had to, we served I dri- them. I drive fast through Tigerland. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's, hey, it's starting to change and we're, we're trying to buy more properties in there because a few, I think, big time investors have bought in there, like way bigger than just a 32 unit, but they bought the bigger stuff and starting to turn it. So we're, we're expecting quite a big jump in value based on the income approach. If the cap rate is still a 9.85 to a 10%, we're going to appraise at or higher where we expect, which will pay out our investor and give us a, a nice tax-free chunk on the awesome. refi. What's your plans from here? You got another one in sight? Or you, you gonna- yes, we've got, we've got a few in sight. I'm meeting with investors pretty much every other day or having a conversation with somebody about raising some, you know, some private capital to try to take down bigger deals. Awesome. Are you planning on doing more, more debt with those investors? Or are you looking at like a true syndication model where you're giving them equity shares? So we're looking at not quite syndication because I know a lot of legal things go into syndication, but we're trying to just do a, a JV partnership with one investor to take down the deal and give equity, like a waterfall type deal. Gotcha. So where, where are you looking to invest in the future? Are you planning on staying in Baton Rouge or? Definitely not staying, but in investing in smaller units in Baton Rouge, yes. I don't want to get into anything too big in Baton Rouge, just because I think last year there was like 4,500 vacant units in Baton Rouge. Yeah, they've so built a lot. <laughs> they, they're overbuilding the shit out of it, like A-class units that just aren't getting filled. I don't know why the hell they're doing it. If they just need some, they're evading taxes or something, man, but they're <laughs> overbuilding. But I want to go to Houston. I want to go to, I love, I love Texas, like the, the Houston, Dallas, Austin markets, maybe even San Antonio. I want Alabama and Florida. I like staying in the, you know, the Southeast. Yeah, we're in a because I don't want to go up north where the you know that that snow man, <laughs> just that's a whole nother beast. And I I just I'm, the deal's got to be perfect, and somebody's got to live up there to be able to want to run it. But I don't want to buy anything up there. So, what advice do you have for somebody who's looking to get started in real estate? 
would you suggest they start the same way you did with the wholesaling and kind of work their way up? Or would you have done it differently knowing what you know now looking back? Oh, wholesaling all the way. I say wholesaling because you get to meet so many different people. You get to learn how to negotiate, learn how to talk with people because you're going to talk with a lot of people in wholesaling. You meet a lot of investors. I've met so many investors from just wholesaling, just like being in the, the real estate game. It's helped me out so much, like just building those relationships. And now I've learned how to raise that private capital as well as wholesaling. It's simple, but it's not easy to sustain a business on it. Like it's simple to go out there and wholesale one property, but it's hard to wholesale two to three to five properties a month, like to maintain the business. You can build your liquidity from wholesaling, get a little bit more of a track record, and then you can get into buying and holding single families flipping single families, getting a duplex, fourplex, and then even taking down this stuff. I could have done this sooner, but it was a confidence thing for me. But I definitely recommend starting at wholesaling. Yeah, it's definitely like every step you take in real estate, it's a slight confidence like thing, yes. you know, because yeah. I have zero like handyman or construction background. Like, Same. <laughs> like my wife makes fun of me. I'm so bad at fixing things. And, you know, when I went out and bought my first single family house, there was like pretty much nothing wrong with it. So I, I paid like retail and I put like 15% down. And I mean, we had to fix some floors and we had to paint some walls and like a couple other little knickknack things. And then, but then after I was done with that, I felt like, okay, well, I know how much it is to replace floors. I know how much it is to paint walls. And then the next one, it was like a very similar deal where like I had to do a few extra things and it it adds up. And each time I did it, it built my confidence personally and it built other people's confidence in me that, that, you know, me. That's the the main thing. Yeah. And, and then after that, I was like, all right, I'll go burr a property. Like, cause before that I was, I, I, what if it doesn't appraise? I mean, I didn't sleep for months waiting for that first property Damn. to like come back appraised. And when it came back appraised, right. I was like, oh, well, you know, it, it the appraisal came back, right. I'm, I'm confident to go do it again. And then I did it again. And now like, I don't even blink. I lost so many deals because of that hesitation because that confidence wasn't there. But yeah. with every little thing you do, you just gain more confidence. You're willing to take on bigger challenges. And it's like a snowball effect. Dude, I, yes. 100% it is. And, and you're just getting that track record, man, to, to where now you can say to future investors, and you're like, look, I've done this. You can go touch, feel it, and see it. As somebody said yesterday, you can piss on it. You know, it's real. Like I've done this. You can see that I've made this come true and it's cash flowing. So that gives other people confidence in you to be able to do more and potentially bigger stuff. Awesome. So real quick, we have our our radio round where I just like to ask our, our guests a few questions to help the listeners get to know them a little bit better. The first question is what's your favorite book? I like it's a negotiation book called Never Split the Difference. Chris, Chris Boss. Boss. Yeah, that was yeah. a good one. That so, book, I've read it three times, man. Three. <laughs> so I listened to it on Audible. I cheated. Yeah, so, I said read it. I listened to it on Audible. <laughs> <laughs> so on this topic, so I always give my guests a heads up about the questions in case they want to think about it. And when I when I was telling Taylor before the, the show, I said, look, I need you to think of your favorite book. And don't say Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He actually told me he's never read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is, I think he's the first guest on this show or even real estate investor that I've ever (laughs) talked to that's told me that. 
I've never, I've never read it. And I just, I feel like I'm too late now to read it because it would just open my eyes to like, you know, what I'm already doing and what I already have seen. Absolutely. So I would still recommend you go read it. Uh, I might audible. Audible it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it on audible. The next question is what is your favorite quote? Ain't first you last, man. Ricky Bobby. Ricky Bobby. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. What's your favorite, <laughs> what's your favorite thing to do when you're not working? I get a lot of flack for this, but I like, I play my video games. Oh, like, you're a gamer. I oh, like playing man. games and, uh, and hanging out at my pool and, and talking I, business with I, anybody I see. I talk business with. How old are you? 26, right? Yep. That's your generation with the video I, games. I've gamed since I was 15 years old. I don't play competitively anymore. I don't have the time for that. But it's like a, I don't know, I hang out with some of my friends that, you know, don't do real estate and I don't talk to them often. So it's like a, a release thing. Like I get home from having a busy day and I just want to pop in my chair and do nothing for like an hour. It's like <laughs> a, I just release, man. <laughs> I hear you. I like it. So where can our listeners find out more about you and get in touch? How can they get in touch with you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I know a lot of people don't do this, but I'm about to give out my number because I answer. I always any, do. <laughs> I answer any calls. Uh, you can text me. My number is 225-304-2625. Or just find me on Facebook, Taylor Jernigan. It's a picture of me and my wife. Everybody thinks I am my wife because my name's Taylor. I get a lot of replies that say, yes, ma'am, when I'm yes, like, listing properties. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody thinks I'm a girl. And having a picture of me and my wife doesn't help. Well, and you've got, a, you've got a unisex name, so I'm sure yes. that, that hurts you yeah. as well. Well, cool. I'm, I'm actually a huge fan of your wholesaling business, and I'm waiting for you to send me my next deal. So um, if, if I, I don't pick it and buy it, that's, that's what I'm saying. You need, look, you need to focus your energy on the apartment complexes. Go ahead and send me the deals. <laughs> I want to, I want to so bad. Awesome. Taylor. Well, thank you so much for joining us and I'm looking forward to keeping up with everything you're doing. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the rent roll radio show brought to you by Crestworth capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at crestworthcapital.com or rentrollradio.com or follow us on Facebook at rentrollradio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at crestworthcapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.